And I welcome the decision of some members of this council to meet as soon as possible to consider the necessary decision that would condemn the aggression that you launch on my people. There is no purgatory for war criminals. They go straight to hell, Ambassador. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, fighting like hell for nearly 20 years now to protect democracy and i guess we ain't stopping now welcome to the bradcast glad you could join us today uh we will see where we end up going of course we had to uh throw out our guest entirely today have to reschedule that for another day yes uh given everything that is going on and quite a bit is going on yes it is desi doyan how you do how you holding up <laughs> i'm holding up All fine right, it's good. ukraine i'm worried about but... let's uh let's start here i'm worried about them too uh vladimir putin has said there is broad public support for the invasion of Ukraine that he announced just before dawn on Thursday morning. But by evening, thousands of what we must describe today as very brave people in cities across Russia had defied police threats to take to central squares and protest against his brutal military campaign in Ukraine. At great personal risk. Police had made at least 1,600 arrests as of Thursday evening, according to the OVD Info Monitor that tracks political arrests uh, as Russia cracked down on the unsanctioned protests. Most of the arrests were made in Moscow and St. Petersburg, where the crowds were the largest, but arrests were made in as many as 52 cities across Russia for protesting the invasion, according to OVD. The protesters chanted no war as they exchanged shocked reactions to the attack on Ukraine. The attack that they were told was not coming. 
They were told that over and over again. They were told that uh, such an ocean was simply hysteria by uh, the Ukrainians and its supporters in the West. Well, it was not hysteria. It was accurate information about the unprovoked attack that eventually did come and continues at this hour. In Moscow, according to The Guardian today, Alexander Belov said he thought that Putin had, quote, lost his mind. He said, I thought we would never see a war like this in the 21st century. Belov arrived early at Moscow's Pushinskaya Square to find it surrounded by police vans. He said, it turns out we live in the Middle Ages. The mood in Moscow was dark and somber, according to The Guardian, after Putin announced that he was launching a broad military offensive targeting Ukraine. I am embarrassed for my country, said Nikita Golubev, a 30-year-old teacher. To be honest with you, I am speechless. We don't want this. What are we doing? Why are we doing this, he said. His anger and hopelessness were shared by many commuting to work down Moscow's central Arbat Street at the Ukrainian Culture Center. Just down the road, the mood was even grimmer. The Ukrainian administrator at the center said that the center, which aims to promote the language, traditions and identity of a, of a country that Vladimir Putin denied the legitimacy of as a modern state in his angry defiance, some have called it unhinged, and historically inaccurate speech on Monday, uh, that center would be shut for the, quote, coming period, according to the administrator. We are being bombed as we speak. Of course we are closed. Jesus, what is happening, the administrator said, who did not want to give his name. The Guardian's Piotr Sauer and Andrew Roth report that they were already uh, that there there were already signs that Russians were uncomfortable with Putin's initial decision to recognize the two self-declared republics in Ukraine's Donbass region. On Tuesday, Yuri Dut, one of Russia's most popular media personalities, said he quote, "did not vote for this regime and its need for an empire and said he felt ashamed in a post that received almost a million likes in 24 hours." A fresh poll by the independent Leveda Center released on Thursday showed that only 45 percent of Russians stood in favor of the recognition move that preceded Thursday morning's dramatic events. I suspect those numbers have changed uh, since the attack on Ukraine. I didn't think Putin would be willing to go all the way, said one Muscovite. How can we bomb Ukraine? Our countries have their disagreements, but this is not a way to solve them. But outcries of anger were not only felt on the streets of Moscow, where the Guardian did not encounter any support for the military assault. Russia's cultural and sporting elite, usually firmly behind Putin, they report, and often called upon by the president during election campaigns to gather popular support, they also expressed their deep worries about Russia's invasion. Valerie Maladza, arguably the country's most beloved singer, posted an emotional video in which he begged Russia to stop the war. Today, he said, something happened that should have never happened. History will be the judge of these events, but today I beg you, please stop the war. 
Likewise, Russian football international star Fyodor Smolov posted on his Instagram channel, quote, no to war. U.S. intelligence has for months warned that Russia would seek to fabricate a major pretext before launching an invasion of Ukraine. In the end, no major false flag came. There were a bunch of smaller ones. But experts now believe that Putin decided to act without gathering the backing of his own electorate. Putin seems totally indifferent to approval on the street. He's acting not like a politician in need of public support, but like a figure from national history books who cares only about the approval of future historians and readers, tweeted Alexander Baunov, a political analyst at the Carnegie Moscow Center. I can't imagine he's going to get that approval for what he has done, for what he is doing, even as we go to air today. The Russian leader looked to have also surprised some of Russia's most prominent oligarchs who saw their wealth tumble as the country's financial markets collapsed on Thursday. With the Russian stock market closing down more than 33 percent, that after falling at one point by more than 50 percent. Some of those oligarchs, some of the Russian elite are unlikely to be happy in the days ahead. We'll get to that in a moment. On Monday, after Putin recognized the independence of the two Donbass territories, Oleg Deripaska, a Kremlin-friendly oligarch who once said that, quote, he does not separate himself from the Russian state, and who, by the way, worked with Donald Trump's disgraced former campaign manager Paul Manafort, Deripaska exclaimed on his Telegram channel on Monday that, quote, war had been averted. Guess what? He has since deleted that post. On Russian state television, the invasion was framed as a defensive mission aimed at preserving Russian lives. It was not a defensive mission. Yet some risked arrest on Thursday, uh, Thursday evening in Russia in order to voice their opposition to the invasion. Zargal Richnikov uh, arrived on the square in a jacket with the inscription, No to War. If he had held up a sign, he said he would be arrested. So wearing the anti-war jacket would have to do, apparently. Everyone is scared, he said. They know if they say something bad, then they'll be put in jail. So people pretend that they don't notice that we have started a war. So they don't have to speak up about it. For Ukrainians, public messages of opposition to the war, unfortunately, come too late. The country's health minister, as of about an hour ago or so, has said that at least 57 Ukrainians have so far been killed already. I suspect that number may be much higher by now. Many more civilians, almost 200 when I last checked, were reported as injured by the minister as it is... Uh, being uh, as the the nation of Ukraine is being threatened with being overrun by a much larger military force. The minister said on Thursday that Ukraine's authorities are repurposing the country's health care facilities at this point to make room for those who need medical assistance because of the hostilities, according to AP. Actually, I'm um, seeing a, an alert from BBC right now that uh, as uh, 137 Ukrainians, both soldiers and civilians, were killed during the first day of Russia's assault, according to President Zelensky. Well, there you go. Nonetheless, uh, sensing that a... 
Genuine large-scale pushback against war might be Ukraine's best bet. Vladimir Zelensky, the uh, Ukrainian president, on Thursday morning urged Russians to speak up. He said if the Russian authorities don't want to sit down with us to discuss peace, maybe they will sit down with you. We shall see. Uh, TPM journalist Josh Kavinsky spent three years in Ukraine working for the Kiev Post. He reports today that as Russian President Vladimir Putin escalated the Ukraine crisis over the past several months, he retained a range of key options, recognized the Russia-backed breakaway territories of Donetsk and Luhansk, conduct a limited offensive in Ukraine's east, perhaps, pound Ukraine with missiles but leave ground troops out of it? Well, of these three options, Kavinsky notes, he appears to have chosen the most extreme, a full-fledged, multiple-pronged assault on all of Ukraine, bringing the full might of the Russian military to bear on its neighbor, while also enlisting Belarus as a war ally. As a war criminal ally, I might add, this is as big as he could go, said Jeffrey Edmonds, a former Russia director at the National Security Council and senior research scientist at uh, CAN. Uh, If he's going to destroy Ukraine's military and seize the capital, this is what he had to do. And yes, this is what he is doing. And by the way, for full context and disclosure, my ancestral homeland. My grand, my great grandmother, uh, who who I knew well for many years, she was born in Ukraine, escaped Odessa to come to America during the pogroms before the two world wars. I uh, when I see some of the video of people in Ukraine today, particularly the older women, yeah, I see my great grandmother. Just for full disclosure. Ukrainian officials have said that they face attacks from multiple axes now, an invasion via the south from Crimea near Odessa, an offensive war, uh, an offensive in the uh, war-torn east along the country's contact line with Russian proxies, and assaults from the north towards the city of Kharkiv and separately from across the Belarusian border heading towards Kiev. As we go to air, they are said to be very close to the capital city already on its outskirts, unless Desi breaks in with uh, an update that they are already all the way in. I hope not. Ukraine is under attack from the north, the east and the south, said Zelensky in a statement. A separate statement from his office said that Russian forces had staged an attack Uh, In the Volyn Oblast, that's the Volyn province, a far western region close to the country's border with Poland, with Poland, all the way in the west. The entire nation is under full scale assault, not just the eastern border. This is no peacekeeping mission, as the Russians lied repeatedly. This is a brutal relentless and completely unprovoked assault on a sovereign nation. Putin declared war in an early morning speech in which he repeated denials of Ukraine's statehood. He called the country a historical part of Russian territory. As that speech concluded, Putin made a barely veiled threat to NATO should it intervene. And it was, I suspect, as intended, quite chilling as he seemed to reference the country's nuclear arsenal. Whoever tries to impede us, the dictator said, let alone create threats for our country and its people, must know that the Russian response will be immediate and lead to the consequences you have never seen in history. 
Well, that was very uh, Trump-like. When I tweeted that out last night, University of Michigan professor of history and global affairs expert Juan Cole retweeted it, retweeted that uh, quote to add, I don't know if Putin sounds like Trump now or Trump was all along aping Putin. Good question. In his Thursday morning speech, Putin said that the operation would lead to the, quote, demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine. Now, to be clear, and I've mentioned this before, there is an ultra-nationalist, yes, Nazi faction in Ukraine, which has no political power in parliament or the government at the moment, but does have a militia in the east, which has been battling Russian-backed separatists there for years now. Some years ago, uh, that militia was then folded into Ukraine's National Guard, But to describe Ukraine as a Nazi country, as uh, Russia and some sympathetic to this argument like to do, that is really a joke. Their popularly elected president, Vladimir Zelensky, is Jewish, for God's sake. Zelensky said in a statement posted online that the Russian attack was an assault on his control of the government and on the country's independence. Ukraine is defending itself and will not give up its freedom no matter what Moscow thinks, Zelensky declared, for Ukrainians, independence and the right to live on their land, according to their will, is the highest value. Russia, he tweeted, has embarked on a path of evil. But Ukraine is defending itself and won't give up its freedom. Ukrainian officials said their forces were battling Russians now on multiple fronts. They had lost control of the decommissioned Chernobyl nuclear power plant about 80 miles north of Kiev and seen, of course, of uh, the world's, well, not one of the world's, but the world's worst nuclear disaster. Yeah, back in 1986 when one of the reactors melted down. The Ukrainian Interior Minister Advisor Anton Harashenko said that Russian forces have taken control over the Chernobyl exclusion site that's about a thousand square miles that is still radioactive and that was after a fierce battle he said with uh, Ukrainian National Guards. Now the concern is that any attack on the nuclear waste repository could spread a radioactive nuclear dust cloud all over the territories of Ukraine, Belarus and the European Union countries and worse if the power to the cooling pumps is disrupted or the fuel storage tanks are damaged, then that could be catastrophic. But now initial reports do say that Russian shells did hit the radioactive waste repository Mm. and there was an increase in radiation that was detected, Mm. but uh, they were not able, AP was not able to immediately corroborate that. And so the condition of the plant's facilities right now um, and the confinement shelter for the reactor and the nuclear waste, the condition is not known right now as we go to air. Brother, condemnation, uh, of course, uh, rained down, I guess, along with a nuclear fallout, not only from the U.S. and Europe, but also from South Korea, Australia and beyond. And many governments readied new sanctions against Russia. Even Russia-friendly leaders, uh, reportedly, like Hungary's Viktor Orban, sought to distance themselves from Putin today. That's good. In Washington, U.S. President Joe Biden announced new sanctions against Russia, saying Putin, quote, chose this war and that his country would bear the consequences of his action. Biden made clear that Putin is the aggressor here in his drive for empire, that the aggression will end up costing him dearly, 
make him a pariah on the world stage while arguing that Ukraine, U.S., and its allies will emerge stronger from this and that ultimately, quote, freedom will prevail. Good afternoon. The Russian military has begun a brutal assault on the people of Ukraine without provocation, without justification, without necessity. This is a premeditated attack. Vladimir Putin has been planning this for months, as we've been saying all along. He moved more than 175,000 troops, military equipment in positions along the Ukrainian border. He moved blood supplies into position and built a field hospital, which uh, tells you all you need to know about his intentions all along. He rejected every good faith effort the United States and our allies and partners made to address our mutual security concerns through dialogue, to avoid needless conflict and avert human suffering. For weeks, for weeks, we have been warning that this would happen. And now it's unfolding largely as we predicted. In the past week, we've seen shelling increase in the Donbas, a region in eastern Ukraine controlled by Russian-backed separatists. Rush, the Russian government has perpetrated cyber attacks against Ukraine. We saw a staged political theater in Moscow, outlandish and baseless claims that Ukraine was, a, Ukraine was about to invade and launch a war against Russia, that Ukraine was prepared to use chemical weapons, that Ukraine committed a genocide. Without any evidence, we saw a flagrant violation of international law in attempting to unilaterally create two new so-called republics on sovereign Ukrainian territory. And at the very moment that the United Nations Security Council was meeting to stand up for Ukraine's sovereignty, to stave off invasion, Putin declared his war. Within moments, moments, missile strikes began to fall on historic cities across Ukraine. Then came the air raids, followed by tanks and troops rolling in. We've been transparent with the world. We've shared declassified evidence about Russia's plans and cyber attacks and false pretexts so that there could be no confusion or cover-up about what Putin was doing. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposely designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. And I want to be clear, the United States is not doing this alone. For months, we've been building a coalition of partners representing well more than half the global economy. 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and many others, to amplify the joint impact of our response. I just spoke with the G7 leaders this morning, and we're in full and total agreement. We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. We'll limit their ability to do that. We're going to stunt the ability of, to finance and grow Rus the, the Russian military. We're going to impose major and we're going to impair their ability to compete in high-tech 21st century economy. 
We've already seen the impact of our actions on Russia's currency and the ruble, which early today hit its weakest level ever, ever in history. The Russia stock market plunged today. The Russian government borrowing rates spiked by over 15 percent. In today's actions, we've now sanctioned Russian banks that together hold around $1 trillion in assets. We've cut off Russia's largest bank, a bank that holds more than one-third of Russia's banking assets by itself, cut it off from the U.S. financial system. And today, we're also blocking four more major banks. That means every asset they have in America will be frozen. This includes VTB, the second-largest bank in Russia, which has $250 billion in assets. As promised, we're also adding the names to the list of Russian elites and their family members that are sanctioning — that were sanctioned as well. As I said on Tuesday, these are people who personally gain from the Kremlin's policies, and they should share in the pain. We will keep up this drumbeat of those designations against corrupt billionaires in the days ahead. On Tuesday, we stopped the Russian government from raising money from U.S. or European investors. Now we're going to apply the same restrictions to Russia's largest state-owned enterprises, companies with assets that exceed $1.4 trillion. Some of the most powerful impacts our actions will come over time. As we squeeze Russia's access to finances and technology for strategic sectors of its economy and degrade its industrial capacity for years to come. Between our actions and those of our allies and partners, we estimate that we'll cut off more than half of Russia's high-tech imports. It will strike a blow to their ability to continue to modernize their military. It will degrade their aerospace industry, including their space program. It will hurt their ability to build ships, reducing their ability to compete economically. And it will be a major hit to Putin's long-term strategic ambitions. And we're preparing to do more. In addition to the economic penalties we're imposing, we're also taking steps to defend our NATO allies, particularly in the East. Tomorrow, NATO will convene a summit — we'll be there — to bring together the leaders of 30 allied nations and close partners to affirm our solidarity and to map out the next steps we will take to further strengthen all aspects of our NATO alliance. Although we provided over $650 million in defensive assistance to Ukraine just this year — it's last year — let me say it again. Our forces are not and will not be engaged in the conflict with Russia in Ukraine. Our forces are not going to Europe to fight in Ukraine, but to defend our NATO allies and reassure those allies in the East. As I made crystal clear, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory with the full force of American power. And the good news is, NATO is more united and more determined than ever. There is no doubt, no doubt that the United States and every NATO ally will meet our Article 5 commitments, which says that an attack on one is an attack on all. Over the past few weeks, I ordered thousands of additional forces to Germany and Poland as part of our commitment to NATO. On Tuesday, in response to Russia's aggressive action, including its troop presence in Belarus and the Black Sea, I've authorized deployment of ground and air forces already stationed in Europe to NATO's eastern flank allies — Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and Romania. 
Our allies have also been stepping up, adding the other allies, the rest of NATO, adding their own forces and capabilities to ensure collective defense. And today, within hours of Russia's unleashing its assault, NATO came together and authorized and activated an activation of response plans. This will enable NATO's high readiness forces to deploy and when and where they are needed to protect our NATO allies on the eastern boundaries of Europe. And now I'm authorizing additional U.S. force capabilities to deploy to Germany as part of NATO's response, including some of the U.S.-based forces that the Department of Defense placed on standby weeks ago. I've also spoken with Defense Secretary Austin and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs General Milley about preparations for additional moves should they become necessary to protect our NATO allies and support the greatest military alliance in the history of the world, NATO. As we respond, my administration is using the tools, every tool at disposal, to protect American families and businesses from rising prices at the gas pump. You know, we're taking active steps to bring down the cost, and American oil and gas companies should not, should not exploit this moment to hike their prices to raise profits. You know, in our sanctions package, we specifically designed to allow energy payments to continue. We are closely monitoring energy supplies for any disruption. We've been coordinating with major oil-producing and consuming countries toward our common interest to secure global energy supplies. We are actively working with countries around the world to elevate collective release from the strategic petroleum reserves of major energy-consuming countries. And the United States will release additional barrels of oil as conditions warrant. I know this is hard and that Americans are already hurting. I will do everything in my power to limit the pain the American people are feeling at the gas pump. This is critical to me. But this aggression cannot go unanswered. If it did, the consequences for America would be much worse. America stands up to bullies. We stand up for freedom. This is who we are. Let me also repeat the warning I made last week. If Russia pursues cyber attacks against our companies, our critical infrastructure, we are prepared to respond. For months, we've been working closely with, our pri with the private sector to harden their cyber defenses, sharpen our ability to respond to Russian cyber attacks as well. I spoke last night to President Zelensky of Ukraine, and I assured him that the United States, together with our allies and partners in Europe, will support the Ukrainian people as they defend their country. We'll provide you humanitarian relief to ease their suffering. And in the early days of this conflict, Russia propaganda outlets will keep trying to hide the truth and claim success for its military operation against a made-up threat. But history has shown, time and again, how swift gains in territory eventually give way to grinding occupations, acts of mass civil, mass civil disobedience, and strategic dead ends. The next few weeks and months, we hard on the people of Ukraine. Putin has unleashed a great pain on them. But the Ukrainian people have known 30 years of independence, and they have repeatedly shown that they will not tolerate anyone who tries to take their country backwards. This is a dangerous moment for all of Europe, for the freedom around the world. Putin has committed an assault on the very principles that uphold the global peace. But now, the entire world sees clearly what Putin and his Kremlin, and, and his Kremlin allies 
are really all about. This was never about a genuine security concerns on their part. It was always about naked aggression, about Putin's desire for empire by any means necessary, by bullying Russia's neighbors through coercion and corruption, by changing borders by force, and ultimately by choosing a war without a cause. Putin's actions betray his sinister vision for the future of our world, one where nations take what they want by force. But it is a vision that the United States and freedom-loving nations everywhere will oppose with every tool of our considerable power. The United States and our allies and partners will emerge from this stronger, more united, more determined, and more purposeful. And Putin's aggression against Ukraine will end up costing Russia dearly, economically and strategically. We will make sure of that. Putin will be a pariah on the international stage. Any nation that countenances Russia's naked aggression against Ukraine will be stained by association. When the history of this era is written, Putin's choice to make a totally unjustifiable war on Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. Liberty, democracy, human dignity, these are the forces far more powerful than fear and oppression. They cannot be extinguished by tyrants like Putin and his armies. They cannot be erased by people, from people's hearts and hopes by any amount of violence and intimidation. They endure. In the contest between democracy and autocracy, between sovereignty and subjugation, make no mistake, freedom will prevail. God bless the people of a free and democratic Ukraine. May God protect our troops. President Biden speaking at the White House on Thursday following the all-out assault by Russia on the independent nation of Ukraine. Let's take a quick break here. And we will continue with our coverage today as best we can with as much as we can figure out and try to help uh, you and me and all of us make sense of, despite the senselessness of it all. Uh, so more ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Bye. 
was the Ukrainian national anthem. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, sung by uh, Zlata Ognevich. Do I yes. have that right? Yes, and the Ukrainian Kiev Military Kiev, School yeah. Choir. Kiev Military School Choir. Washington Post journalist Whitney Leeming posted uh, posted this short video, which had it been longer, I would actually have loved to have played as her bumper music here. This is a young boy playing the piano in a very fancy hotel lobby in Kharkiv, which I, I believe is Ukraine's second largest city. Uh, I have seen reports that it has, uh, if not been overrun, nearly overrun. But this uh, was this just a beautiful shot taken. I'm not sure if it was by Whitney Leeming or not, but from a hotel balcony down over the boy who was playing this grand piano, beautiful white grand piano. As the reports were coming in overnight that Russian troops were advancing on the city and as uh, Ukrainians all across the country were seeking shelter wherever they could in in subways, in hotel lobbies. And uh, here's what that a little bit of what that sounded like. Uh, just a haunting, a haunting, yeah, right. Uh, moment there kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, the band playing on the Titanic. Mm. For the record, by the way, that was Philip Glass's Tales from the Loop, in case you were wondering. Now, to be clear, you know, I have attempted to be as fair as possible in all of this, in all of our coverage of what is going on in Ukraine. I have always attempted to be as fair as possible on this program when it comes to coverage of Russia, of the Russia and Ukraine conflict and everything else. But I got to tell you, this one, <laughs> I, this just unprovoked attack and make no mis make no mistake here, despite the propaganda that you may hear from Russia or its sympathizers was completely unprovoked. As we discussed yesterday on the show with longtime journalist and author John Judas, the the hands of the, the U.S. and NATO are not entirely clean here. Their policies have indeed encroached, uh, at least as Russia sees it, on its own sovereignty and on its own security. But Russia is not defending themselves here. They are not defending their border with this all-out assault on their neighbor in the most hostile military action on the European continent in, in what, 80 years or so. They, they were not in danger. They were not under attack. They were not under assault. They are the aggressors here. And we need to be very clear about that. Because there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of uh, folks out there hoping to confuse you about all of this. So no matter how you may feel about Russia, no matter how you may feel about Joe Biden or NATO or war in general or peace, let's just be clear eyed about what is going on here. Russia attacked Ukraine not to save themselves. And frankly, it's not clear exactly why uh, Vladimir Putin has done this at all. He's made claims about you know NATO encroaching. Some of that is certainly true. 
But I really do think, as, as I've uh, been speaking about for a few days, that this comes down to democracy and the idea that a democracy, a healthy, thriving democracy on his border in what he considers to be a Russian land is a direct threat to him. And that's why he had to shut down those protests everywhere across the country on Thursday, as we discussed at the top of the show, in 52 different cities at least. Because any uprising right now, any uh, democracy movement right now, is a threat to Vladimir Putin, who pretends that he, uh, he has a democracy. He does not. He does not. And as you know, if you listen to this show... Our democracy here in this country is certainly imperfect, to say the least. And that's why we fight for it. But I just want to be clear about, you know, you know, what's going on here with all of the info wars, if you will, the information <laughs> battles that are out there. And, you know, I know some justifiably will argue that the U.S. has been similarly aggressive elsewhere. And without getting into the weeds of such an argument for now, let me just note, yes, we oppose U.S. aggression. We have always opposed U.S. aggression as well in such instances. We oppose unprovoked aggression, whether it's by the U.S. or whether it's by Russia. We stand on the side of peace here. Today, that side is with the Ukrainians. There was a, a fascinating moment last night at the U.N. Security Council in New York, uh, which which held an emergency meeting uh, at Ukraine's request, I believe, before the Russian assault actually began or they requested it before the actual assault began. I, I think the meeting was not convened until shortly after the attack had begun. But interestingly enough, the Security Council at the U.N. has a rotating chair, apparently, from among the members of the council, from among the various ambassadors on the council. It was chaired last night, by, of all nations, by the Russian ambassador to the U.N. It was the Russian ambassador's turn to chair the Security Council, which made for some, let's say, uncomfortable moments, uncomfortable comments between, uh, between him and the Ukrainian ambassador. Hayes Brown of uh, NBC News noted uh, this uh, this moment on Twitter and shared the video tweeting. So something interesting, he said, could be developing at the U.N. Ukraine appears to be laying the groundwork to challenge whether the Russian Federation is the legitimate successor to the USSR's seat, which is a permanent seat and their uh, their veto on the Security Council. Apparently, when the USSR became the Russian Federation, they just got to keep anything that the USSR had in the Security Council and in the UN. And the ambassador to Ukraine has been challenging that, challenged it last night. This is what it sounded like at the UN Security Council last night. Here's the Ukrainian ambassador, Sergei Kislitsia, directing his comments toward the chair, who happened to be the Russian ambassador. Before I try to deliver parts of the statement that I came here with tonight, most of it is already useless since uh, 10 p.m. New York time, I would like to cite Article 4 of the UN Charter 
and it says membership in the United Nations is open to all other peace-loving states which accept the obligations contained in the present charter and in the judgment of the organization are able and willing to carry out these obligations. Russia is not able to carry out any of the obligations. The ambassador of the Russian Federation three minutes ago confirmed that his president declared a war on my country. So before I read parts of my statement, I would like to avail of the presence of the Secretary General and request the Secretary General to distribute among the members of the Security Council and the members of the General Assembly the legal memos by the Legal Council of the United Nations dated December 1991, and in particular, the legal memo dated 19th of December 1991. The one that we've been trying to get out of the Secretariat for a very long time and we were denied to get it. The Article 4, Paragraph 2, of the Charter reads, the admission of any such state to membership in the United Nations will be affected by a decision of the General Assembly upon the recommendation of the Security Council. Mr. Secretary-General, please instruct the Secretariat to distribute among the members of the Security Council and the members of the General Assembly a decision by the Security Council dated December 1991 that recommends that the Russian Federation can be a member of this organization, as well as a decision by the General Assembly dated December 1991, where General Assembly welcomes the Russian Federation to this organization. It would be a miracle if the Secretariat is able to produce such decisions. There is nothing in the Charter of the United Nations about continuity as a sneaky way to get into the organization. Well, as I said, relinquish your duties as a chair. Call Putin, call Lavrov to stop aggression. And I welcome the decision of some members of this council to meet as soon as possible to consider the necessary decision that would condemn the aggression that you launch on my people. There is no purgatory for war criminals. They go straight to hell, Ambassador. That was the, uh, the, the Ukrainian ambassador to the UN at the Security Council late on Wednesday night speaking to the chair of the U.N. Security Council, uh, who happens to be the Russian ambassador, challenging the, the saying that it was impossible. There is no way for the USSR to simply become the uh, Russian Federation and keep the same seats and all the same privileges in the U.N. and on the Security Council. 
and then directly uh, speaking to him to tell him that he is a war criminal. All right, one more point here I want to uh, get to. This is Terrell Germain Starr. He's the host of the Black Diplomats podcast. He is now stationed in Kiev and uh, was doing a a selfie video, I guess, uh, last night uh, after the attack had begun uh, in the streets of Kiev, and he had some helpful advice. I am in central Kiev. It's it's, it's pretty tense right now um, in in many respects, so people are maintaining calm, but at the same time, it's pretty tense. Again, be mindful of where you're getting your information. If it's not a verified source that you trust and respect, um, please do not share that information. Part of Russia's attack is disinformation. And finally, anything that comes out of the Kremlin is a lie. If you hear anybody that says that they're a spokesperson for the Kremlin, just know that whatever they're saying is a lie. And I know that in journalism, we like to hear both sides. I get that, but you have to treat these people like Trump. You have to add context to it. Nothing that they have said so far is the truth. Everything that they're saying is a lie. A report from Terrell Germain Starr in Kiev uh, as the uh, attack by Russia on Ukraine uh, was just beginning. So do good advice. Please try to share only confirmed reports uh, or from verified sources. Misinformation really will make a difference moving forward here. Russia clearly seems to be counting on that. Quick break and we're back with Desi Doyen. And yes, our Green News Report. Straight ahead on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. One of those days, no pressure, Desi Doyen, uh, <laughs> when we turn to you to somehow cheer us up in our latest Green News Report. Nord Stream 2 will not, as I promised, will not move forward. Germany agrees. Polls plug on Russia's critical gas pipeline. Fourth tropical cyclone in four weeks batters Madagascar. U.S. fracking industry is curtailing production to goose fossil fuel prices. Even more? Plus, Dakota Access Pipeline developer loses bid to block new environmental assessment. All of those losers and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Cheap oil is a deterrent from tyrannical third world dictators from invading other countries. Could it be that Greta Thunberg and Leonardo DiCaprio actually might be to blame for what Vladimir Putin is doing? No, it could not. And her name is Thunberg. That's a take you will not hear anywhere else. For good reason, Charlie Kirk, you dunderhead. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, normally we would think your lead would be in Russia and Germany today, but nope, climate change is 
moving us across the world. Yes, it is. Compounding tragedy in Madagascar off the coast of eastern Africa. Madagascar was hit with the fourth tropical cyclone in just four weeks on Tuesday, intensifying an ongoing humanitarian crisis. The back-to-back cyclones have killed at least 200 and left hundreds of thousands homeless in one of the poorest countries in the world. That's back-to-back-to-back-to-back cyclones. Yes. The United Nations warns Madagascar is facing the world's first climate change famine caused directly by man-made global warming due to years of unrelenting drought. Here in the U.S., AP reports that in California, which is mired in its third year of severe drought, federal water managers said this week they can't deliver any water from reservoirs to farmers in the state's biggest agricultural region. That will force some to plant fewer crops in a region that supplies the bulk of the nation's fruits, nuts, and vegetables. Maybe plant fewer almonds, which take up an inordinate amount of water. Correct. In other news, fossil fuel prices were already spiking on global markets to their highest level since 2014 due to rising demand and tight supplies. So it certainly didn't help when Russian President Vladimir Putin intensified aggressive actions toward neighboring Ukraine. Well, it depends who you say it didn't help. That, in turn, triggered the U.S. and Europe to initiate sanctions. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has indefinitely halted certification of the controversial $11 billion Nord Stream 2 methane gas pipeline from Russia. Potential additional EU actions could include banking restrictions impeding Russia's ability to export its oil and gas, a pillar of the Russian economy, that could further curtail global supply. Everyone is bracing for higher energy prices, especially Europe, which is dependent on Russia for about 40 percent of its oil and gas. Maybe that was never a good idea. Well, on Wednesday, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said that Europe has sufficient supplies to get through the winter. And she said Russia's actions have underscored the risk of relying on Russian fossil fuels. She said the EU will accelerate its shift to clean energy. This crisis shows that Europe is still too dependent on Russian gas. We have to diversify our supplies We will have to massively invest in renewable energy. That's where the future is, because this is a strategic investment in our energy independence. President Biden on Wednesday also slapped sanctions on Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline and said the administration will take measures to mitigate the economic impact on Americans from higher fossil energy prices, which Republicans hope to make a political problem for Biden and congressional Democrats in the critical midterm elections in November. Because, of course, they do. Hey, there may be war and tens of thousands of people killed, but it's great political news for us. Higher prices mean higher profits for the oil and gas industry, but it's not just Russia's actions causing fossil fuel prices to jump. A new report by the American Prospect finds that after flooding the market for a decade, now the oil and gas fracking industry in the U.S. is restricting production intentionally to goose prices in order to return more cash to investors. Naturally. Finally, a sliver of good news. The U.S. Supreme Court has rejected an attempt by the owner of the controversial Dakota 
Access Pipeline to block a new environmental review. The pipeline is opposed by nearby Native American tribes because of the threat of a spill to their drinking water supply. Energy Transfer's pipeline has been operating without a permit while the new assessment is underway, which the company has previously said leaves the pipeline vulnerable to being shut down. Our Supreme Court blocked the challenge? Yeah. Our packed and stolen Supreme Court? Yep. Are you okay, Supreme Court? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I'm okay if you're okay, let's be okay today. If I may, I'll say we're okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Everybody's okay. Sure. I'm okay. You're okay. Everything is good. This thank is you, fine. Thank you very much, uh, Desi Doyen. Greatly mm. appreciated. Uh, by the way, I think at some point uh, Brent crude was over a hundred dollars uh, barrel yes. today. Yes, but it went back down after Biden's speech. Apparently, calmed that market at least. And the stock market actually rebounded uh, quite a bit after he spoke. So Go figure. This story will continue. We have to get out. Uh, my thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And yes, by the way, we are 100% listener supported. So we owe a great debt to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. I'm okay, but I've got some uh, oral surgery I have to go through on uh, during the next uh, broadcast. So the lucky Nicole Sandler will be in for you, and uh, we wish her luck as well. Until then, I I'll, I'll be found on the Facebooks and the Twitters when the Novocaine wears off at the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.